Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Punk Till I Die podcast, episode number 98. I'm, of course, one of your hosts, Tom Trauma. And somewhere out there is your other host, Neil, Liverpool Neil. How are you doing, Neil? I am doing fine, and I am very thrilled about today's show. I couldn't be more excited. Um, yeah, and Tom, tell them why. We have a guest, well, a very famous a guest. A legitimate first wave punk rock legend who... I think you could argue co-wrote like two of the ten most important punk rock songs of all time. Three, I'd say. Well, well, he co-wrote two, two of them. The he two co- singles, yeah. The singles, I think, are still like the you know the big ones. But anyway, yeah. So, so the show is actually going to sound a little bit different today because we only had kind of a short window of opportunity to talk to the guy, the guy who will remain nameless until a minute <laughs> from now. So the songs are just going to kind of be spliced in um but these are all songs written by today's guest who is original sex pistols bass player glenn Glenn matlock yep and we're thrilled we're thrilled to talk to him of course neil and i are both huge sex pistols fans um almost to the point of i mean i'm i'm really a sex pistols apologist when i hear people say things like oh sex pistols were a boy band i really want to rip their throat out well i actually wanted to talk to glenn about that because i mean i'm rereading his book again um i was a teenage sex pistol Yep. And I, that is such bullshit because the Sex Pistols existed in like from 74 on. They were called the Swankers at that point. But yep. Paul and Steve and Glenn were in a band from 74. Malcolm wasn't even involved. So they already had this thing going and they already it's had like some was, of the songs. So It's like it was an unpardonable sin to have a manager back in those days or something. Yeah. I mean, and yes, they did get they did get clothes from the clothes store that he owned. But so what? I mean, big deal, right? So that... That bullshit really annoys me, but uh, but yeah, I mean, he was a delight. He came on with us, and uh, we, yeah, couldn't be happier. So we're gonna play, we're gonna play songs probably before, and we might cut away in the middle, right, Tom, and play a couple of songs, yeah. Glenn songs. We're gonna play all songs written by Glenn. Even some of them may not even necessarily be performed by him, but he uh, he's had a real varied career. Really, is is played with. If, if you read of all the different people he's played with, honestly, you know, Steve Jones and Paul Cook are two of the least famous guys he's played with, if we're being honest. Yeah. Go through his career. Um, so it, it's anyway, yeah, he was a real, uh, you know, proper English gentleman and uh, didn't get too annoyed with us for talking about Sex Pistols stuff. And uh, <laughs> it was yeah. a real thrill. So, yeah, with, without further ado, as we say. We're going to listen to check out some songs from uh, Glenn Madlock and uh, listen to our uh, chat with him.
Neil and I don't get very nervous very often anymore when we talk to somebody, but I must admit, I'm a little nervous today to be talking to Glenn Madlock sitting in London, UK. How are you doing, Glenn? Yeah, not so bad. How are you doing? We're you know, right. the sun is yeah. shining. We're and, honored. Uh, We're honored, mate, to have you on. We that's, really are. That's fantastic. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, Th- thank you, you for doing this. It's, it's nice. It's not, I'm honored to be honored. So well, there you <laughs> go. Uh, there you it's, go. It's, 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 it's the sun's shining. It's been quite spring-like in London here today. Yeah. So I've been out and about doing this, that, and the other, and... Um, there's cherry blossom on the trees and daffodils out and are you are you you allowed to be out glenn because i thought aren't you still in lockdown over there like full-on lockdown and stuff it's like a semi-lockdown oh it is okay you can go to the food shop you can go to the park you can go and get a takeaway coffee and sit on the wall around the corner and you're not really supposed to but you can talk to people at a reasonable distance yeah, and all the, the pubs, all the pubs are closed. Kind of sticking to that kind of thing, ready. But it's weird because other people are still going to work and they might be in an office with 20 people. So, it's you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's odd. It is. Um, it's weird. I'm, I'm a little bit more adventurous because I've had one um, inoculation so far and I'm waiting to hear about my second one. Oh, Except cool. I got a text this morning, in, which I thought was for the second one, but it was for the first one, but I've already had it. So, <laughs> I'm confused, but it don't take a lot. Um, That's called government efficiency, right? Yeah, <laughs> something like uh, that. Right, yeah, right hand don't know what the left hand is doing, but they like to keep you like that. But, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. So just, kind of, just roll in with the punches a little bit, but it's been a bit of a sure. funny old year. But, you know, I've been talking to my, my chums, and the thing with being a musician, a lot of it is getting on with it, and a lot of it is sitting around waiting for the phone to ring sometimes and what you're going to be doing next. And it's been quite good practice for this last year. Yeah, no really. doubt. Yeah. yeah. Well, so yeah. You, you've always lived in London, right? You never you never lived in, you've never attempted to live in the States or anything like Steve or... I, well, I, I, I've, I've been. I nearly f- fleed to Paris just before the end of the year to get out of the... Um, you know, for, loss of freedom to movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, it, a few things conspired against me. Both my sons got diagnosed with COVID, although oh. they were all right. They were all right, but it was just when I didn't need it when I was trying to decide whether I wanted to take on the cost of quite a nice flat in the middle of Paris. I don't know. It's, it's all a bit of a it's all a bit of a juggle at the moment. Nobody really knows what yeah. to do. But actually, I'm maybe look west, young man, and begin to think about coming back to the States again, you know. So thing is, now we can go to Europe and you can retire there, which is fine, but you're not allowed to work. It all becomes a whole lot more complicated. Oh, is that because of Brexit? come up with this once they're knocking together. I so think. that's because of Brexit, you're saying? Yeah, because yeah. of Brexit. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, so yeah, it's funny. Kind of trying to deal with that, but maybe all your listeners in America are on that fussed about it but no there you go no it's all interesting man it's all interesting go on tom i was gonna say you know you know neil and i have sort of been lionizing you for about 70 years between the two of us right neil 70 (laughs) something between the two of us we have more years than listening to you than you have years on the earth um and it's funny because you you know i I saw the press release for the new new single which i definitely want to talk about but even that new single they mentioned the fact that it's been it's been 45 years since since you left the pistols did you ever did you ever think when you were doing that stuff when you were just a kid did you ever did you ever think that music was going to have the staying power that it has i mean kids are still finding it every year um i didn't really think about about past the end of the week and where your next pint was coming from back then <laughs> we, we, we always knew we had something right from the get-go you know we were different from what was going on it was time for a change and we was going to be the change we didn't you know, with the Sex Pistols, we didn't know what, musically, we didn't know what we wanted to do. We knew what we didn't like, what was going on at the time, which was a whole load of nothing, it seemed. Right. But we was going to do it anyway. And it just kind of came out how it came out. Um, but we was the hippest of the hip. We was in the right place at the right time because we all individually put ourselves there. We had a good team of people around us who were about 10 years older than us, like... Malcolm McLaren and, and um, Vivian, Vivian Westwood and Jamie Reed and Bernard Rhodes who went on to manage the Clash. You know, there was quite a good coterie of people around and fashion, happening people, you know. And we was, as young kids, hanging out 
we're the most happening people in London. We didn't kind of really know it, but it soon became apparent. So it's quite a symbiotic relationship we had with all these people that kind of helped propel us to um, where we ended up. But whether there was any longevity in it, I hadn't really thought about it, you know. Yeah, well, it did, though, right? Uh, I, I was actually just reading your book. Um, I was a teenage sex pistol, right? Oh, and, and, and I'd for, I'd forgotten that Bernie Rhodes was actually pretty, uh, you know, because you, you, everyone knows that Malcolm obviously managed the band and stuff, but Bernie was actually a pretty big influence, wasn't he? He was... was... I, I think he was, yeah. I think yeah. he kind of gets crossed over a bit. Um, he's a bit of an obtuse character, but... Um, you know, I've got a lot of time for Bernard, but... If you heard him talk, you need a lot of time. But, you know, there's quite a few pearls of wisdom pop out um, from Bernard. And he did say to me in more recent years, I mean, not recently, but a long time after the event, you know, it's like what happened with a clash and the clash broke America. And, and um, you know, how did you manage that when the pistol should have done it really? And Bernard said to me, he said, I saw what happened with you in the band you with the pistols about them and I swore to myself that you got to keep the back, the original band together for as long as possible so there you go oh that's true oh. yeah 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 um yeah, cause, but it's but it's funny because if you if you read some of the books and see what Joe Strummer had to say about him you know he was uh Joe and Mick actually they were pretty up and down about Bernie right they had him they fired him as the manager then they got him back again as the manager and stuff like that so yeah, it seems like he yeah. was a pretty... Well, uh... Yeah, people like him and people like Malcolm, and they weren't really managers in the traditional sense, but they were ideas people, and ideas people have a whole different way of going about things that's not necessarily taking care of business, but takes care of the more artistic side of it somehow. Yeah. Um, but, but then sometimes they think it's all them, you know, when it's... It's a collective consciousness. Did those um, two get on? Did, did 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 Malcolm and Bernie get on, or were they always at each other's throats? Well, it was funny when earlier in lockdown, we'd been touring over here. El Slick was staying with me, and um, he got stuck here for several months. I didn't mind, mm-hmm. and and in fact, this is where this record comes from. Yep. But we did a few FaceTime live things, and we got dub, dubbed the odd couple, and I was both Jack Lemon and. He was definitely Walter Matthau. <laughs> you know, Malcolm and Bernie had a similar kind of relationship. So, um, there you go. <laughs> yeah. But Bernard was funny. I went to Malcolm's funeral and Bernard got up to speak uninvited. <laughs> and he had a guy up there in Westwood and said, it's not all about you, you know. This is in the, in the deconsecrated church. <laughs> it was like comedy hour. But on the other hand, at Malcolm's funeral, they had a girl come out dressed as a ballerina who tap danced to um, You Need Hands by oh, Firegraves. And then some <laughs> bloke from Finland came on and did the cry of the wolf. Oh. <laughs> it, was a bit, it was a bit odd. <laughs> artsy fartsy even to the end, huh? Pardon? Yeah. Artsy fartsy even to the end. Yeah, yeah. Well... Did, do you, a couple of, a few years back, I remember um, Malcolm's son burned a bunch of Sex Pistols stuff, and he made quite well, a show he of it. Said he did, yeah. did you did you have any opinion on that, or you just didn't care either way? I didn't mind what he did, but and I know him. You know, I know Joe reasonably well. Okay. Um, and he tried to get me involved, and I didn't really want any part of it. Um, but he was trying to draw attention to something else, and I didn't mind what he did. But he did it on the anniversary of Anakin UK coming out or something like that. So all his kind of fine talk about this, that and the other and destroying punk. It was funny that he did it on the anniversary of that. You know, when you said my single come out, I thought, but I didn't even know that. It press people, do press people kinds of things and they all seem sure. to want anniversaries and stuff. I just rather people like the record, you know. Sure. Yeah. Well, and that is... That is a, a an interesting dynamic because I'm looking at your career. You've had an amazing career as a musician. You've played with a ton, a ton of people, but unfortunately, people are obsessed with the stuff you were doing by the time you were 20. Have you have you sort of made peace with that? It's just the way it is, really. You know, um, 
it's, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, you know, it opens some doors and and then it closes others. Mm. I don't know, it's just the way it is, I can't do much about it, to be honest. It used to annoy me, but as I got older, I think, and, and I get to, because I did that, I get to do some really pretty cool kind of thing. Mm. I, I got, a couple of years back, I got invited to go and play at some peace concert actually on the... Um, the in the DMZ or DMZ I call it DMZ zone between North and South Korea. Oh wow! Mm. Oh. That, that was kind of cool. I, yeah. went and I got invited to go and play in Ramallah in Palestine at some event. You know things like that. I wouldn't normally get asked to do, but I know full well that they asked me to do because I used to be in a sex pistol. So you know. yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, I mean, obviously I love the pistols and stuff, but I tell you what, um, the rich kids were one of my favorite bands of all time. So, well, yeah. If, okay. It's cool. The yeah. Got away, really. Yeah. I'm, I'm proud of that. I think there's some good stuff on that record. Because, so, you know, it, it was one of those things because, you know, when you're 15 years old, I was 15 when that album came out in 78 and, um, when it's something just hits you, you know, when you're 15 and you completely obsess over it and that's how I was with Ghost of Princes. So, uh. I was really upset though. Like, how come the how come we didn't do a second album? What what whatever happened there? Well, we did some demos for a second album, but in the meantime, between the two albums, Midge and Rusty did a side project with this other bloke. Um, then it took off, and it was Steve Strange, and it was Visage. Oh, Visage! Oh new, shit! New Romantics, you yeah. know. And I I wanted to kind of rock and roll even a bit more than we had on the first album. Um, yeah. So there was a rift in the band, really. Didn't, again, didn't mind too much because then pretty much as soon as I 
split the band up. I said, I don't think it's really going to work. And I didn't know what I was going to do next. And out of the blue, I got a phone call from Iggy Pop to go and tour with him. So the first time I went to the States, I was playing with Iggy Pop. And the first time I was in New York, we did one warm-up gig in the hot club in Philadelphia. And the next thing we're in, in Manhattan, and we played at the Palladium on Canal Street, I think it was, on Halloween. All the crowd were dressed as in Halloween costume, which we never used to do in England back right. then. Right, we didn't, yeah. The cramps supported us. Oh, fantastic. And backstage was Debbie Harry dressed as a witch, and she gave me a peck on the cheek. <laughs> now, the first time in New York, that went bad, you know, and I, I just turned 23, so that was, that was kind of cool. So which, which, which Iggy Pop album was that? Well, I did the tour to promote... New Values, which had already been made before I got the phone call. So I did the tour for that. Um, but then in the middle of touring with them, we made the Soldier album, hmm. which I've got some songs on. You know, In fact, I'm quite pleased there's a song on that called Ambition, which I wrote, which actually was for the Rich Kids album. Um, hmm. And it's about the only time, I think, that it is, apart from a like, Bo Diddley song or something like that, it's about the only time he's done somebody else's lyrics, so I was quite mm. pleased with that. What was it like? I actually, I actually was one of the things that caught my eye was that you played on that Iggy album. Had a couple of his notable early songs on it. I want more, and like you say, ambition was a great one. How was it working with Iggy? 
Yeah, where was Cole? You know, I mean, a funny thing with Iggy Pips, is it like? And he's a wild and crazy guy. Yeah, you read but this legendary. Up until then, you know, with the pistols. You know, the biggest gig we did when I was in the band was probably about three or four hundred people. Yeah, if if that. Rich kids, bigger, but then you know we didn't really have proper roadies, and it was your mates mm-hmm. who didn't really know one end of a jack plug from another, and you know it was all a bit of a laugh. When I started playing with Biggie, he'd been touring properly for a long time, and I was straight in doing a proper tour, you know, with flights and a road manager and roadies and proper sound guys and all, and it was a different thing. So it's kind of funny, but playing with Iggy, I couldn't believe how professional it was. <laughs> Which was kind of the wrong way around, really, you know. But and through doing that, yeah, you know, I got and I'm still friends with James Williamson and, and mm. I met David Bowie through doing all that, you know. I got the first time I was in New York, I bumped into David Johansson and Sylvain Sylvain, bless him, who's not long passed away, and mm. we became friends for life, you know. That's so, that's. That's funny because that was another thing I wanted to ask. Because obviously, yeah, Sylvain passed last year, and you had toured with him extensively. Yeah. What 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 should we know about Sylvain? Sylvain. He was he was an instigator with the Dolls. He was a very sweet, honest, erudite, clever, fun chap. Had quite a good slant on life. He said to me that um. You know, with the, with the dolls, but, you know, bands, there's kind of about four things in a band that contribute to a band's success. The first one being the money. There's the look, there's the music, and there's the appreciation from the fans. And he said, well, we didn't get the money, but we got three out of four, and that was pretty good because everybody loves us. You know, true. it's kind of true. He could, he could have been a bit better interested, and he wasn't. Or he certainly wasn't about it with me you know and we did a lot of stuff together we did a couple of acoustic tours around the east coast up into canada through the midwest tours like double yep. header things he'd do a set i'd do a set and we do a few numbers at the end but it was just me and him driving in the station wagon huh. and um you know so we chat about this that and the other and yeah yeah i actually yeah, i, I, I actually you know. I actually saw that tour when it came through Chicago. Um, I think, oh, okay. I think it was yeah, I think it was 2014. Yeah, it was yeah, you and Sylvain played at a winery, so it was all seated. Yeah, we played at City Winery. Though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, interesting. It was you know I I'm not used to going to a gig and it being all seated and stuff and you know fancy, but it was really good. I really enjoyed it, and yeah, I also okay. I also liked and, it. Uh, what I remember about that gig, it's yeah. funny, this, this Scottish guy who I actually got the gig. To, to manage Iggy Pop. He'd been the Rich Kids roadie. And wherever I'm going in the world, he happens to be there at the same time, Henry McGrogan. And he came down with one of the calls, and one of the girls from the calls was shouting out through the, through the, through the set. So that was, I can't remember which one it was, but um, yeah. Yeah, I was so, I, I was pretty excited because you did uh, you did two Rich Kid songs. You did uh, Ghost of Princes and you did Burning Sounds. So I yeah. was pretty stoked about well, that. Well, I said, that's the bit, that's the, I like doing acoustic shows. They're kind of scary, or they were when I first started doing them. You know, because it, it's sort of one down from being a stand-up comedian. Yeah. There's only you there. There's <laughs> not all the noise and the band and the equipment and the lights I hide behind. It's just you and an acoustic guitar and the buck stops with you. And you got to do it. Way. 
songs to draw from i know most of them not all of them but i know a lot of them if somebody shouts out for something i can make a reasonable fist of having a go at it but i don't have to it's far more spontaneous because i don't have to worry whether the drummer or the bass player or or Mm. the lead guitarist knows how it goes you know or they rehearsed it sufficiently oh that's true yeah yeah so i can do whatever i like and i normally go on with the first two songs in my head and, you know, obviously I've got to do Pretty Vacant at the end and I might do All or Nothing as an encore. Anything in the middle, it's up for grabs. You know, mm. I just kind of do it and gauge <laughs> it. From, so you can do what you fancy, really, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, because the thing, the thing some of our listeners might not realise is that um, Glenn actually wrote um, music and lyrics to Pretty Vacant, right? You wrote the whole thing, right? Yeah, but at some stage, John changed two lines in the second verse, but... I never knew because the PA system we had wasn't very good and we was all turned up to 10 in a tiny little room and I didn't realise he changed the words until the record came out. <laughs> well, you know. Yeah, so, so there you go. I was going to say something else. Yeah, no, but so just that whole idea of being out to play what you like, when you like, the, the, this little single that we put out, Consequences Coming and Constant Craving, which there's full band versions on the new album we've got. But we did these FaceTime live things last year, and we did four or five of them. But if you want people to tune in every week, you can't do the same songs each week. So me and Earl have to learn four different hour-long sets of stuff. You know, luckily I've got Mm. a lot of songs, but then he'd say, how about doing this one, and how about doing that one, and all that. And we'd learn all these songs, and when he was here... Before he went back to America, I said, well, we might as well just sit around the kitchen table and just put them down on the, the computer in my little home studio. And that's what we did. So that's where those two songs come from. But so, I've got so you, four and a half you record hours. them right at your house? Yeah, I've got four and a half hours of stuff, you know, oh. the Bob Dylan basement tapes kind of way. 
And it's like two hours playing and about two hours kind of coating everybody else off. <laughs> it's it's so, funny, but it's quite daunting to have to sit and go for it all. And I start listening to it, trying to sort something out. And, and then sort of kind of listening to our double act um, is, you know, it takes you off at a tangent. Yeah. So, so Earl Slick's a bit of a legend in his own right. He he played with David Bowie, of course. That's kind of I think that's kind of how he made his name, right? But he, he's played with the Stones and a bunch of other people. I don't, know, I don't know if he played with the Stones. He played with John Lennon. Oh, John Lennon. Okay. I, I just I remember reading a little bio. I'm like, wow, he's played with much like yourself. Just played with a lot of different folks. How did you How did you guys get to be friends? Um, I don't know about ten or twelve years ago, a friend of mine. There's a guy who lives in New York who's a fashion designer and does a bit of music on the side and put some tracks up. And I think it's that long ago, he called me up one day and he said, I put a couple of songs up on MySpace. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he said, and this, this guy contacted me. He said he really likes it. Do you want to do something together? He said, what do you think? I said, well, I don't know. Who's the guy? And he said, El Slick. I said, well, do it, of course, you nitwit. And he went, all right then. So he kind of did a bit of writing with Earl and then this guy his name's Kenan Dufty called me up and said um he said well actually yeah um if if we recorded something would you if we sent you the tapes would you put some bass in I said yeah sure I'll do that and then he called me up a couple of days later he said well actually I bumped into Clem Burke then this guy kind of knows people and he said Clem would play drums on it I wasn't really doing anything at the time I said look if Clem's going to play on it and Earl's on it although I didn't know him then I said, just book a studio and I'll jump on a plane and come over and we'll record them properly. That's what I did and that's where I met Elf for the first time. And when we started learning one of the songs, Earl said, what key is it in? And he said, oh, it's in B or something like that. And he got his capo out and I went, hang on a second. That's cheating. There's no capos in punk rock. Are you going to be like that? And I said, yes, I am going to be exactly like that. So, and then we got on fine. So that was that. And then when we did that session, we did a few gigs there, a little club thing. And then um, when I made the Good To Go album, which is the one that's out at the moment you mentioned earlier on, I asked Slim Jim to play on it. And I said, have you got any ideas for a guitarist? And he said, oh, how about I'll Slick?
knew that he knew Earl and he didn't know that I knew Earl so it all just kind of fell into place hmm. and then we've been doing gigs sporadically and touring the UK and we've been played at the Fuji Festival in Japan so year, you know a year and a bit ago now so we have to so, so I have to ask when you're playing with Slim Jim does he does he actually play a regular drum kit or does he still just do that stand-up Playing a snare he, and a he does, he does that stand up thing and he wanted he to does? sit down and said no you got to stand up in the studio <laughs> and he did but I got him in because I'd gone to see because I've been doing loads if you really must know I've been doing loads of acoustic shows which I like doing yeah. and I'd written a whole bunch of songs which I'd, I'd kind of been geared towards my acoustic show a bit um, and I always think the song's no good unless you can play it from start to finish by yourself an acoustic guitar and it stands up mm-hmm. and I thought well I want to make an album but I don't want it all to be like da, 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 you know pistols kind of thing because if sure. I'm going to do that I might as well do it with the real sex pistols and a friend of mine is a girl called Patty Paladin who used to work with Johnny Thunders yeah 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 and she's a big Bob Dylan fan and Bob Dylan was playing in town and as much as I appreciate Bob Dylan I'm not a big fan of his and I went <laughs> I bought some tickets and I went to see Bob Dylan at the Albert Hall. And do you know what? He came on the stage and it's like you could, you could barely recognise the song. He was really disdainful of the audience, looked really uncomfortable, like he didn't want to be there, but he yeah. does 200 gigs a year. So anyway, I concentrated on the band and we had good seats that overlooked the, the you know, just by the side of the stage overlooking the thing. And the band he had was fantastic. It was Tony Garner playing upright bass and they, and Charlie Sexton on guitar. Mm. And I don't know who the drummer was, but he played most of the stuff on brushes. Mm. And that was the catalyst. I thought, shit, if he can do that, perhaps I can do that with my songs. And that kind of gave me the idea, who's not a really overbearing drummer? Oh, Slim Jim's only got half the drum kit. I'll ask him. And that's how the idea kind of came together. And I'm glad I asked him yeah. for that album because he, he tends to swing things a little bit, so it's a little bit more rockabilly. It's not out-and-out out rockabilly, but it, it was a good starting point Easter for doing e- something different. So that album is kind of a little bit my Americana album, and I deliberately recorded it in the States just to kind of get a bit of a feeling about it, really. He still he still looks exactly the same too. I'm always blown away by uh, by Slim Jim. He he never changes. No, he he, he does his hiking up in yeah. LA and all. But I will let you into something. He's sixty this weekend, so I had to record mm. a little thing for him and just send online for his mates to, to all chip him. So there you go. Yeah. It's it's so funny you run in these circles. You're talking about Clem Burke, you know, obviously legendary Blondie drummer, and played a couple gigs with the Ramones. It's like your circle of friends. It, 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 do you get you, are you guys more comfortable when you hang out together? All you sort of established musicians is that they, your circle? They're, they're, they're people. I mean, I've known Sir sure, sure. since he first came to London in you know the very late seventies, early eighties. Yeah, so I met him through. We shared a publicist. Or the office, I met him there, and you know, that they, they were starving, they had no money or anything, you know. And mm. He was a good, good egg, and we would hang, hang out a bit, and then they got successful. and I saw the rise of them over here. Then I lost touch with him, and then when I went back to the States with the pistols in '95, I went somewhere and I bumped into him, and we, mm. we, made, we rekindled our friendship. Clem, 
I when I went on tour with Iggy Pop, I let him have my flat in London. That's <laughs> back in 1979. You know, I, you meet people and you sure. sort of have a kind of some kind of attraction for whatever reason, probably because you're kindred spirits, because you're in sort of punk rock bands that sure. aren't really punk rock bands, but are good rock bands um, with a difference. Yeah, and you have an affinity with people, so that's it. Um, and, and it's people so who, I don't, people I don't experience a lot of the same as, things as, as you. I don't see them as musician names. I see them as friends who happen to play good. Sure. You know, and hopefully they see me the same way. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Hey, so, uh, and in fact, I've got a spare bedroom at a place in London. It's it's either normally got, you know, in better times, it's either a Slim Jim staying here or Clem Burke or El Slip or some, somebody like that, you know. Uh, but then when I go to LA, that's, I've got a bed over there, so it's kind of cool. Yeah. Hmm. So with that, with the, there's a new like Sex Pistols TV show coming out, right? So have you yeah. been have you been involved in in that? I know there's they've got an actor yeah, that's playing way, you. Yeah, I met Danny Boyle and I met the guy who's playing me who I like um, and yeah so, yeah. You, so, so you've had some input in that dance because I don't want them doing something stupid like like Sid and Nancy and that kind of crap I mean hopefully this no, is going to be no I think it's, it's going to be different from that did, did he did he hang out with you trying to pick up on your mannerisms a little bit or was it just kind of just oh, I, went, I went and had lunch with him and coffee and stuff and we've been texting each other so yeah are you, are you, I, I know the last tour, when you get, the last time you guys toured, I don't think it ended well, at least according to Steve's, Steve's book. Um, are you guys in touch at all? Are you in touch at all with the other pistols at this point, or is it just business only? Um, I think I could call up Steve anytime I wanted. He could call me up anytime he wanted. Same with Paul. John's a bit of a different kettle of fish. <laughs> it's just we don't, you know. Yeah. I think you don't always have to call people up when you know that you can. Sure. Does that, that make sense? Yeah. If, if if they called you tomorrow and said, "Hey, they want us. They want us to do a 45th anniversary tour." Is there any chance, or is that is that door slammed shut? I think Donald Trump's got something to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> and you can read in, into that what you like. You know? All right. Well, we didn't like him here either. If it makes you feel any better. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's just some of the band do and some of the band don't. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. We'll let that. We'll let that sleeping dog lie. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I can still hope. I, I, I don't care. I can still dream. I never did get to see you guys when you did the tour in the '90s, um, especially. You did a full like U.S. tour, played Detroit, but I did not see it, so I'm kicking myself. But anyway, well, there you go. You know, some sometimes you got to pull your finger out, mate. <laughs> I guess exactly. Was exactly. that enjoy? Was that enjoyable, Glenn, or was it just was it just doing it just purely for the for the for the money kind of thing, or was it? Or did you have a lot of fun on that tour? Well, it's, 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 but I mean, the funny thing with the Pistols is that you know we got such a sort of fame and notoriety that if you had a if you had a cent for everybody you sort of sight, you'd be doing quite well. And it's done all right, but we've never became multi-millionaires out of it. So there is the financial consideration, but they're great songs. Oh, yeah. We're all individually proud of our own input in, in, and I think we can still play them pretty well, really. So why mm. not, you know? I mean, I think the only drag we're doing a pistol show, if, say, you put us against The Clash and The Clash tour, they'd have, like, five albums worth of stuff to pick and choose from. Sure. We've only got one album, you know. People want to hear it. You got to do the same songs, maybe in a different order each time, man. And it's like, mm, you know, yeah, a couple of covers or something like that. I'll throw them in there, yeah. Uh, but I think, but, yeah, I think, I'm, oh, whatever I do, I'm into it 100. percent You know, at sure. the time you're doing it, and I think I, everybody else in the band is. Nobody wants to be left with egg on their face, you know. Sure. But I think the fact of the fact of the matter is that there's such a small body of music actually kind of works to your advantage because. The Clash did a lot of stuff, but there's a lot of mixed feelings about a lot of that later Clash stuff. It's like, <laughs> yeah. you guys didn't do as many songs, but almost, I mean, every one of them is, I don't want to say, you know, perfect, but I mean, it's just a great batch of songs. It's almost like you didn't have time to sort of sully things, you know? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. 
That's how I look at it. But, it, but I don't know. I, you know, I read other, I mean, I was reading an interview with somebody, I think it was Steve or whatever. And he said, you know, if, if Glenn would have been there the whole time, we probably could have made another album. So I, I oh, don't for know. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think he's right, but they should have played their cards a bit cleverer at the time. So there you go. There you go. More fool him. So but I think if, I think if you look at what we've all done individually different in the years, you know, especially in the few years after that. Yep. If all those, if the pick of the bunch of all the good ideas from me and Steve and Paul and John were all put together and made into an album, you know, with us all kind of contributing to it, I think it could have been pretty good, you know. Yeah, no question. A lot of great songs there. <laughs> hey, can I ask you? Can I ask you about the Spectres? I know you were you. The Spectres only existed as a band for maybe a year, right? That was after the Rich Kids. Um, how come? Like you when you released two singles because those singles were damn well, good. Well, we, we, we was going to have quite a big deal with Arista Records, but it all went kind of tits up, and um, it didn't quite happen, which is what happens with bands. Yeah, that kind of could have been good. We did. We lasted about two years, really, and that was just after the Iggy Pop thing. Okay, that was after Iggy. Okay. Yeah, uh, it's was... quite funny. I, I, at some stage, I had everybody from the Tom Robinson band in the band, apart from Tom Robinson himself. <laughs> yeah. and, and the keyboard player, Mark Ambler, was really good. But and I love he's quite a good Hammond organ player, and I love the Hammond organ playing. Mm-hmm. But when you're doing small gigs and you got Hammond organ, you know, you need a big van and he barely break even. Oh, yeah, right? makes sense. So, yeah. anyway, he, he left. So, I thought, well, I still need some keyboards. I can have the... So, I've got an accordion player in, right? <laughs> and the... He was good. And I knew him as Bill McKay, but I got his real name. 
and he he was actually an actor, and he's now in James Bond movies and things. He's oh wow! Well, really? Q's num- number two. Um, yeah. <laughs> so somebody, I think he calls himself John McCabe now. But um, hmm. yeah, he was the accordion player in the Sex Pistols, uh, not in the Sex Pistols, in the Spectres, and. Um, I remember doing a gig in Boulder, Colorado, and we stayed at this fantastic hotel called the Boulderado, and it was like something out of Gunsmoke. The, the front doors were those kind of Western-style swing doors, and all the bathtubs were on little legs, and you thought you'd kind of Miss Kitty was going to come down the stairs. <laughs> you, you got the anyway, time machine, yeah. We did a yeah. gig in Boulder, Colorado, and somebody broke the string, and it took a while to... Um, to get it changed because we was traveling light and we didn't have spare guitars and things. So Bill stepped up and played. Now you're from Liverpool. Yep. Right. He, he actually played the Captain Pugwash theme tune. Oh, amazing. And he said, well, I used to be Southern England accordion champion. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Do you know what? I think that was one of the most low rent tours I've ever done. We went coast to coast in a station wagon with a U-Haul trailer on the back, but it was one of the most fun tours I've ever done as well. You know, started off in San Diego and ended up in Albany, upstate New York, in the middle of the winter, and all the electrics on the Ford LTD went, and the windows got stuck down. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Now, that was that was with Danny Custo from the Tom Robinson Band, right? Yeah, he was the original guitarist, then he left after that, and we got this other guy called, called Mick. Okay. Um, but yeah, oh, and then it was Bath. This other guy, Graham Potter, was going to come to America, and we got the work permits and right. And he put, we was leaving on the Tuesday morning. He played football on the Sunday and broke his leg, and it was like, oh man. So he couldn't come. And I got Dalton Taylor came and joined us. Oh, from like, like, one Fingers, yeah. on a Monday, and then did it. Yeah, it was, it was all a wing and a prayer. But it's kind of funny, you know. A musician's life is full of things that really happen and then things that nobody hear about at all because they're just a rehearsal band and there's some in between things so it's a bit of a roller coaster but you can sort of you can roll with that if you know that one day soon the phone might ring and it might be ronnie wood saying oh, i'm thinking of doing some more faces gigs do you want to help us out again glenn you know there's always wow. that it, yeah yeah that's cool. So, yeah. So, do you want to well, tell? I don't know if he's going to, but yeah, that's what happened. Yeah. Ten years ago, I did some shows with him. Yeah. So. Well, he was one of your heroes growing up, right? The fact you were a big Faces fan, right? I was a big Faces fan. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the band. It was. We did about ten shows. You know, nine, ten years ago, and it it was the band that I used to stand in front of the mirror when I was about fourteen, fifteen, <laughs> pretending I was in them, and the last show. I actually did with them. We played in front of 50,000 people headlining the Fuji Festival in Japan. So it's kind of, I was quite happy about that. Oh, no shit, yeah. Hmm. And Ronnie's my favourite guitarist, you know, he's he's kind of good. But he's a neighbour, actually, and I haven't seen him for a bit because of lockdown, but last year you'd see him pushing the pram down the street (laughs) to the park. It's kind of a bit funny. So you guys, so you the the project that you're currently that you that you have out right now, are you guys called just Glenn and Earl, or do you call yourself Glenn Maddock with no, Earl? No, that, that, that single is Glenn and Earl, right? Glenn and Earl, okay. But, What's the full band well, called? What I'm doing now is is Glenn Matlock band featuring Earl Slick. Oh, Glenn Matlock. Okay, I got you. That's what it will be, and you know I'd like Earl to be in the band all the time, but he lives in America, I live here. Ah, um, gotcha. You never know with Earl that. So that is already sold somebody, out. Somebody with more money than me is going to call and ask him to do something, and good luck to him. Yeah, so so there you go. But we work well together. It's, it's, it's kind of good. We argue a lot. But then That's, you have to, you know. But we, you're used we to that, right? Pardon? You're used to that. You've been doing that for 45 years. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. how did you pick the B? The B side is rather rather interesting of the new single. It's the old Katie Lang song, "Constant Craving." How did that? Yeah, did... I've always loved that song. Um, on the Good to Go album, which is currently out, is a pretty cool version of Montague Terrace by Scott Walker. Now, I've always loved the big ballad. I like to put a big ballad on an album because it breaks up 
Sure, the Rockers. All the Rockers kind yep. of thing. And it's Gotta a bit, do that, it's a yeah. bit of a curve. It's a bit of a curveball. You know, you throw it in there and people think, why is he doing this? Well, I do it because I like it. I do it because the words mean something to me. I do it because I show that I can. And and it kind of maybe turns people onto stuff that they would normally associate with you or if they like punk rock, they might have never thought of checking out Scott Walker, but I think there's something quite punk about Scott Walker, not in the sound, but in the lyrics and the, mm. the artistic start she adopts. And I think that's the same with the KD Lang song, you know, and, and to try and do something like that and and pull it off is a challenge, you know. Mm. That's why I do it, really. Make people think a little bit more. So, mm-hmm. there no, you go. Sure. Yeah, it looks like that single is sold out already. It um, whatever. Well, it was a very, very limited edition, sort yeah. of thing, you know. But, but you know, maybe we'll do another one like that. Um, out of the stuff that I've, I've got, you know, out of the four and a half hours stuff I got, or maybe something else. So, so you're gonna yeah. release? You're gonna release an album, though? You think you're gonna turn that into an album? Well, well there is a whole album. Um, with a full band on it, with Slick on it, and other friends and stuff, already recorded. The mixes need tweaking a little bit, but that's what I'm working on now is to get that out. But in the interim, I'm about to put out an EP. Oh, okay, so cool. Over here, we're going to do that, and possibly the EP will be a limited edition thing that goes out the same way as this single is just on. You know. So. so- Boris says in June things are going to be back to normal. Are you anticipating being able to tour this year? Or are you thinking probably going to have to wait till next year? There's, there's a bit of talk about some shows, but I, you know, I, I believe it when you've done it and the money comes through, and then the accountant's happy that the VAT's been paid, all that kind of stuff. And then on top of that, I don't believe one word that comes out of Boris Johnson's mouth. So, <laughs> That's a good policy with any politician, but. He, I don't think he even believes it himself. It could well, be. Well, he seems he seems to change day to day. I mean, that's it's very strange, actually. Chancer, yeah. <laughs> nasty, nasty piece of work, Chancer. Well, I was there. I mean, I I was I was there in uh, October, uh, the end of October, beginning of November last year, and uh, it was like the week before England went into full on lockdown again. It was uh, just it was just odd because he seemed to be saying different things every day. You know, there is going to be a Christmas. He's just winging it. Yeah. Just Totally the wrong government at the wrong time. You know, I think we're all just winging it, but luckily most of us aren't in charge of anything, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. There you go. Couldn't do much (laughs) worse. We're all in charge of our own destiny. Exactly. That was a good word. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good time to wrap it up on that. Exactly. Well, that just just popped out my mouth, but it was very timely. It was. And then so, a high note. There you go, guys. Um, so, but nice thank, thank, thanks so much for, for talking to us, Glenn. It's really been an honor. We do really do appreciate it. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, cool. Been a pleasure, well, my friend. Go. So, hey, good luck. Good luck with the new project, and I hope you can uh, end up back stateside, and we can catch up at the wine bar or wherever you play when you come back to Chicago next time. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Be well, man. Thank you. Thanks, Glenn. Cheers, yeah, mate. Bye. See you. Bye. Bye. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed that as much as we did, and uh, hopefully this opens the door to just a cavalcade of first-wave punk guys coming on the show, right, Neil? Yeah, before they drop, right? <laughs> exactly. All, all of Neil's boyhood heroes. No, Glenn was fantastic. I mean, uh, I, was, I couldn't... He was. Have, you can probably tell by my voice I was super stoked to be talking to him, because I don't know why, but the rich kids... It must have been right time, right place, but the rich kids resonated with me in that... Uh, Christmas of 78 you know when you stop finding yourself for the first time when you're like 14 15 years old and you're discovering that you have your own personality and stuff like that and that's what happened then and the rich kids were right there for me and I don't know it just that album meant Mm. a lot to me and still does actually I still love that album so I've always had a soft spot for um for Glenn I always thought he got the you know short end of the stick he got shafted and then the pistols fell apart after he was gone so it always just yep. the whole thing just seemed pointless but anyway so yeah it thanks for listening and uh we'll uh we'll talk to you talk to you soon you know you know I, I gotta say you never know what you're gonna get from us right Neil right it's... might be a might be a <laughs> might be a first wave punk legend or some obscure you know dude California from, Christian yeah. hardcore guy yeah or some dude from Michigan yeah it's all good <laughs> yeah it's, it's all, all good, good. 
Anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. Yep. Keep a little mark in your heart. Stay free. See you later. Bye. See you later. Bye.